All right, guys, good morning, good morning. Um, morning. So I'm going to pray before we jump in here to our passage in Romans this morning. God, thank you for, uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for adopting us as your children. Thank you for this family. Um, we just pray as we um, continue in Romans. We just pray that your spirit is stirring in our hearts um, and is revealing uh, areas in our life that you want to transform, God. Um, so we just pray as we step into this space that we are uh, yeah, receptive and attentive to your spirit, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, guys. So today we're going to return to our Gospel Depth series. Um, and right now we're going through Paul's letter to the, to the church in Rome, or to Romans. And within Paul's letter to the Romans, um, chapter 12, which Andy started last week, uh, verse 1, um, is where the letter shifts. It changes here. So in chapters 1 through 11, uh, Paul, he unpacks uh, what the gospel is in vivid detail. And then now in chapters 12 through 15, he starts explaining to us how the gospel should change our lives. So we're going to nickname this mini-series um, in chapters 12 through 15. We're going to call it Related, How the Gospel Changes How We Relate. And who Jesus is and what he's done in the gospel, it changes. And it changes these things in our life. Guys, it changes how we relate to God. It changes how we relate to ourselves. It changes how we relate to our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. It changes how we relate to our enemies. It changes how we relate to the government and authority. And it changes how we relate to other Christians that we don't agree with. And last week, Andy started uh, the series by looking at uh, uh, verse 1 here in chapter 12, and that, which has to do, again, with how um, we relate to God. So we're going to talk again this week about how the gospel changes how we can relate to God together by examining verse 2 here. And to give you a little context, we'll read verse 1 to start here. So in Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And Andy taught us last week um, through verse 1 that the life of a, of a disciple is, it's one, it's with others in community. It's secondly, in response to the gospel. And then the last thing, it's for the pleasure of God. So we encourage each other to answer the question of who do we live to please? So that was last week's text. So now let's jump into verse 2 here. So Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2. And it says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So Paul here, he's laying out a vision for the church that we would be people who know what the will of God is that we would know how to discern, to live as his people. And I think in 2021, it's hard to know what God's will is 
because it just feels like there's so many decisions that we have to make and there's so many voices and nonstop 24 seven with like technology, social media, internet, computers, TV. It can be hard to know what God, what does God want from me? What does God want from you? And how is he calling me to live in this cultural moment? And we could say uh, that it's uniquely hard to, to know how to follow Jesus today. Again, we face very unique challenges, but it's always been difficult to discern God's will. And this was true even for the church in Rome. They had their own, they had their own cultural obstacles to living out God's will together. And for them, it was the cultural divide separating. Um, it was separating the Jewish followers of Christ and the Gentile followers of Christ. Their cultures and families of origin would have likely told them to have nothing to do with the other, to hate one another. But Paul says, if you understood what pleases God, you would know he loves to make enemies family. And their culture didn't like that, but God loved it. It's only in the light of the gospel that we can know what that will is. And often God has a will that contradicts our will that or our cultural's will or our family of origin's will. And I just got back from uh, a two-day retreat in Denver and we're, we were exploring um, what our family of origin and how those experiences we've had early on in our life um, really take shape and form us spiritually as adults. And so this conference was designed to show, to show you why certain parts of following Jesus uh, are uniquely hard for you as an individual and to actually look back and see where did that start. This is the idea that all of us experience struggle in trying to follow Jesus, but we struggle with different things for different reasons because of the different lives that we believe. Now, this doesn't give an excuse for sin, um, but it does help you understand why you're susceptible to certain temptations that you are uniquely susceptible to. And oftentimes, these are linked to messages you receive from your family of origin, either things that were taught to you explicitly or implicitly. Things like, you're only lovable if you perform well in school, which later on in life leads to workaholism. Or you're on your own, so you need to learn how to comfort yourself, which leads to patterns of addiction that ramp up as your life goes on. Or never let anyone hurt you so you keep people at arm's length and you never forgive. And a big part of our time together uh, was in covering why we believe what we do, where we receive those messages, and bringing those messages to the light and to Jesus. And in his presence and with each other as a family, we challenge those messages like so many core um, significant messages and truths were shared and discovered during, so we would break out into smaller um, group sessions together and unpack those things. And I, even for myself, 
Um, I received a really beautiful and significant truth about the trustworthy of the trustworthiness of Jesus um, that really was in the midst of unpacking um, what I was feeling that Jesus was revealing to me with the guys in my group. So Paul says in this passage that true disciples are transformed together, not conformed. Someone is conformed. Someone who is conformed never challenges the narrative they picked up early on in life, never challenges the values of a fallen world that's calling them into. They just conform and allow others to think for themselves. And this leads to disciples of Jesus who look no different than those around them. So one scholar, he writes, two patterns are held up. There's one, the pattern of the world and the pattern of God's will. And Paul tells us to recognize and reject that, the pattern of thinking, feeling, and behaving that categorizes the world and to embrace God's will for all character and life. And this is helpful because it helps us understand what being conformed to this age looks like, which again is thinking, feeling, and behaving in a way that conforms to the broken culture around us. Because true disciples are called to be gracious nonconformists. We're called to be transformed. We're called to push back on the narratives our, our culture is telling us about what matters in life. We push back on the lies we inherited from our past about ourselves and God. We become people with a new identity in a new family, with a new way of living and loving. The will of God looks so different than what seems natural to us here. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to a different way of life. We're called to have different values than what the culture around us says. Like, for example, um, let me just walk briefly through some realities that we align with, uh, that are aligned with the revealed re will of God that don't align with us naturally or the world that we live in. So these are marks of how transformed people think, the values that transformed people carry. Because as a transformed people of Jesus, we forgive instead of hanging on to our bitterness. We use money to bless people instead of using money to get money. We know that we've been, for, we've been given a righteousness that we didn't deserve, so we aren't self-righteous to those that mess up. We know that because of the scripture's teaching regarding the family and Jesus' teaching on discipleship, that the best investments we can make are in the life of his people. We know that the kisses of grace so that we can be a people who give second and third chances. We value reconciliation because we were reconciled to God because of Jesus. And we know that unresolved conflicts are a serious thing. We know that we've been given worth by God and we don't have to work to earn that. So we can have healthy rhythm, rhythms of rest and work. We know that we should have been judged by the king of the universe, but because of Jesus who took on that judgment on our behalf, 
We don't have to participate in the judgment of canceling others. But actually, we can gently correct people and teach them a new way. We've experienced Jesus who is so different to meeting us where we are at in the incarnation. So we are set free to listen to people and enter into their stories without judgment or defensiveness. We know that we are infinitely loved by the king of the universe. So we don't have to compete with one another, which means we can root for our friends' successes regardless of what level we have ourselves. This also means we can outdo each other in showing honor. We know that we've been given so much in Jesus and that he made it possible to make money. So we have our share, we have and we share our stuff willingly because we're stewards again, we're not owners of those things. We know that we are bought at a price, which means our body is no longer ourselves, which means we don't get to act on all sexual desires. And lastly, we know that the real enemy does not have flesh and blood, so we don't villainize people. We see everyone as someone for whom Jesus offers abundant life to, which I really think is opposite of the political environment that's apparent right now. So these are just some of the ways that a transformed people might stand out in your culture right now today. And the only way to walk in those realities is to actually examine what you believe and why. Where are you conformed to the pattern of this world? And where are you being transformed into someone who knows the will of God and lives out what we know? So I want to close out with some questions here. And I want to ask you this. Are you open to having your mind changed? Do you actually want to be transformed? In other words, are you willing to learn what God actually has to say about identity or work or conflict or relationships or sex or money or justice or gender or forgiveness? Do you want to stay conformed to the patterns of this broken world? From what we learned from Tom Logue at our prayer training this past Wednesday, and this is designed for us to discern God's will in your life and what God and his spirit wants to do today among us. And it's these four questions up here. So number one, is there anything you want to speak to me about the Holy Spirit? Is there a part of my life that is likely conformed to this world that you want to transform? Is there anyone here you want me to encourage? And then lastly, do you want me to go get prayer? So I'm going to close us in, uh, I'm going to close my time here and then open it up our prayer response time here. Um, let me pray for us. God, um, yeah, thank you for your spirit. Um, I pray um, right now as you're moving in this space, uh, moving individually in really unique, beautiful ways in each of us, Lord. I pray that we are responsive to what your spirit is calling us to, that we're responsive to the areas that in our life that you want to be transformed, that we would have the boldness in your spirit to share that with our family, with those that we trust that can encourage us towards you. God, we just love you. We thank you because of your spirit. That's the only way that we can be transformed. 
your name we pray. Amen.